This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. All right, right off the top here, the over-under, if we're looking for a Vegas poly prop bet around here, let's see, um, bleeps by Darren or costs by Danny. I'm not sure what is going to be the higher total. I do know the last Big Red Rage we had in here last week, there was a defensive lineman who uh, had to be bleeped three times in a 12-minute interview. So we'll see how Danny's tracking with the cough over here on Cardinals Underground. Danny, what do you think? What's the forecast? Forget about Washington in the rain. What's the forecast with your throat right now? Look, I wasn't able to be on the podcast last week because I was down bad with my cold, and I was not going to miss it this week, so I am fighting through. I've got a cough drop right now. I've got some water next to me. I'm prepared to turn my mic off when I feel a cough coming, so apologies in advance for all the listeners. Well, okay. If nothing else, you know, we're interrupting the Deion Sanders hype train. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk some uh, football. Did you see the TV ratings, by the way, that came out? Just because I know you're interested as an ASU guy there, Darren, um, they drew nearly 9 million viewers. I didn't want to bring this up around Kyle Vandenbosch earlier because Colorado (laughs) Jack stopped his alma mater, Nebraska, and I might have taken a straight right from KVB, and I would not be here right now. It would be a lot worse than Danny's cough. Let's put it that way. Uh, They drew nearly 9 million viewers, the best Pac-12 regular season game ever on Fox in terms of ratings, and the second most streamed college football broadcast in Fox history. So um, there you go. And by the way, I have a bonus theory on Deion Sanders and how it might relate to the NFL, and it might relate to the Cardinals' Week 2 opponent. We'll get to that a little bit later, okay? That's coming up on Cardinals Underground. First off, first impressions. What do you guys think about the Arizona Cardinals based on week one? I know an NFL network this morning I was watching, they, they always talk about week one is a liar, meaning you get a lot of false negatives, a lot of false positives in week one. What do you think you can truly sink your teeth into, guys, based on the Cardinals and Washington, the narrow 20-16 to 16 loss? I mean, the first thing I'm going to go with is, is how hard they played and, and kind of how the thought process was for this coaching staff to get through this first game. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but you know, I, I know a lot of people were disappointed with the offensive production, but honestly, I, that's the kind of offense that I was expecting to see, something a little bit more conservative, play safe, try and get to the end of the game with a chance to win, especially with the way the defense was playing, and that's exactly what ended up happening. So uh, it was pretty close to what I thought might how it might go, um, and if this defense can hold up, and that's that's not a lock. I mean, it's not like Sam Howell is some world beater at quarterback. Um, In fact, you probably won't see a quarterback the caliber of Sam Howell until mid-November, until you play like Atlanta and Houston, you get Desmond Ritter and C.J. Stroud, yeah, right? Yeah. It's going to get a lot tougher. Oh, it's going to get a lot tougher. And, and, and again, you got the Giants coming in this week after getting their 
asses kicked. Yeah. So no, I I agree. The energy and aggression, although at times it was too aggressive with the penalties. By the way, Darren's leading. That's one bleep to zero cost you by can't you. Say asses. Oh, that's two. Go ahead, Danny. What Thank the you. hell? Thank you. Darren's trying to give it's me a, a little cushion show. room now when my coughs are coming. The H word is three. It's a family show. Go Thank ahead, you. Danny. Yeah. Uh, the energy and and the aggression again at times too much with the penalties was nice to see. Offensively, I have covered this team for two years now. I think that might have been the first game where the first offensive snap was not a jet sweep to Rondale Moore. Um, and that is with all wow. seriousness. Wow. And it was wow. nice to kind of see a different sort of offense. Now I'll I'm coughing. Di- I'll be hit a little different than what the original plan was with Kyler Murray and what it will look like when he comes back. It was nice to see a different sort of offense in, in that sense of not trying to get too fancy with certain plays or things of that nature and and utilizing players like Rondell Moore differently. On defense, I really liked the rotation with the D-line and the outside linebackers because you talked about there are outliers and we know that the, the other opponents for most of the season aren't going to look the way Washington's offense does, but it did seem like that rotation on defense in those two position groups was a benefit for the Cardinals, and it worked out well for them. So you guys are a lot more connected to social media during the game than yours truly, but I did get the sense a little bit I'm able to sort of track things that, um, yeah, there was the sort of the bunge factor among the Red Sea based on some of the plays that went horizontal, went lateral, sideline to sideline. I'll just say this. It was definitely part of the game plan. They definitely drew it up that way. The whole JG adapt or die, and it could look different every single week. Well, it just so happens that this week out of the gates, you're playing probably the best defensive line you're going to play all year, although Dallas might have something to say about that as well based on week one. And so the objective was to go sideline to sideline, try and wear them out. And then hopefully it pay off in the third and fourth quarter. Now, that ultimately didn't work out because they dialed up the defense, Washington in the second half, and the Cardinals got less than 100 yards total offense and only three points in the second half. But that's where they were hoping to track with that. I do not expect, and we'll see, I could be dead wrong, far from the last or the next time I'm dead wrong, but I do not expect to see that sort of approach to offense going forward. I think it will will be a lot more forward-thinking, literally, Now, the question is whether you can get more of a downfield passing game going. And I thought the most telling thing that Jonathan Gannis said after the game when asked about Josh Dobbs and the offense was it could have come out of his hand a little quicker. And so some of the sacks, some of the quarterback hits, uh, you know, was he buffering a little bit? To use the Josh Rosen phrase, he's in the offense. Is he exactly confident where the receivers are going to be at what time and when? And because Dobbs seemed to be confident after the game, that it was going to get a lot better, right? Yeah, he said that. What, what was his exact quote after the game? Wait, I got it right here. He jump. said, I think a huge jump is in store. Quote, I can definitely make a huge jump, and I expect to make a huge jump, especially situationally. Care to translate that football to English, uh, Darren? Uh, media cliche to English huh. translation dictionary. When he says especially situationally is he talking about third down for example where they were just four or 14 I mean I guess that's possible I mean even for me just even when you're talking about the ball getting out earlier maybe situationally he meant 
situationally the situation in the pocket like mm-hmm. knowing that it needs to come out a little bit sooner i mean I, I it did feel that way there was definitely a couple times where he was scrambling where i'm like okay that ball probably should have been gone by now and this is why you know a lot of people started going this offensive line can't protect i'm like yeah you know i mean even the montez sweats strip sack that was so fateful if there was one turning point in the game that had to be it and the fumble and they recovered to the 29 and it resulted in a go-ahead score but dj humphreys was battling Montez Sweat, and it sort of looked like DJ expected that ball to be out. I I, I would agree. I don't know. I, I thought, quite frankly, I th- on that play, could Humphreys could have held up longer, perhaps. Sure. Did I think it was egregious? No. Uh, I did think it needed to be gone. You just, you, you got to be, you got to be quicker with some of these things. So, you know, it, does that put it all on Josh Dobbs? I don't know. Um but I will say this, and I wrote this as soon as the game was over, and, and now that we're past the point where Jonathan Gannon has officially said Dobbs is starting again. But I, I said it as soon as the game was over, like he needs he needs to start again. Like the this idea that they would switch quarterbacks to me, and I know you and I talked about it a little bit on the plane. I thought that was foolish. Oh, it sounds like I am unfortunately siding with Darren over Paul on this one. I I agree. I I don't see any sort of upside that is more significant than starting Josh Dobbs by going with Clayton Toon. Josh Dobbs only had roughly six practices, two weeks now that he has those reps with his new teammates. I really do think you can see a difference from week to week moving forward. This is somebody who is still mobile and what this staff is looking for. I think that he probably has more arm strength than what was shown in terms of you talking about the game plan and what they were doing on offense and getting situated. I still just think that what we saw from Toon in the preseason regarding the mistakes with the high throws and the footwork and some of the decision-making, I'm not sure how much ready, how much more ready Toon would be now that prevented him from being able to start week one. I'm starting to worry I'm going to have sympathy coughs here. This is not good. <laughs> Go, go, Paul. I think it's three to one right now, cost versus uh, bleeps. Just to let you know, I made uh, it through that. She's gaining on you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> all right, so look, if this was like first, don't make me laugh. <laughs> if this was like first take, like a Stephen A. Smith or a Skip Bayless production, then maybe I would fan the flames of a quarterback beef here with Darren, and you know, hashtag there will be blood. But truth of the matter is, I am not in favor of starting the rookie. Starting the rookie, but if you're getting late third quarter and you've got three points on the board, and you've got three first downs to your name on Sunday, and you're looking for a catalyst, you're looking to win a game, if it's still a one-score game, and you're not moving the ball, and you're not seeing the accuracy you want to see from Josh Dobbs, then yeah, I think you could bring in the rookie at that point. Nothing prevents you from starting Dobbs again the next week. You're not making a permanent move if you make an in-game change. So I do think that's at the disposal of the head coach, do I do, think it, do, do, really, do I think it's likely? No. Okay, do you, you're saying do you think that the change is likely, or do you think you don't think it's likely that they have three points and and a hundred yards in the third quarter? No, because uh, no, I think they will get. Uh, well, they didn't get a single offensive touchdown no, in I the get game. That. I get so that. You know, you're right. I, I'm expecting them to reach the end zone. But, no, me too. But when you look at third down, and you look at red zone. It needs to be better. I agree. So okay, what does that mean? Is that to what degree is that the quarterback only? To what degree yeah. is that the entire operation? I don't know. James Conner averaged 4.4 yards a carry when it was all said and done. Does he need more than 15 carries? 
I, for me, the the thing about this this conversation is, and I I completely understand where you're coming from and and what you're saying, and even what some of the fans are saying. But like, I I feel like this is a we just want Dobbs out of there, and nobody's giving any serious consideration to what what it really is going to look like with Clayton Tune in the game. You you gave up a fifth round pick. You're not going to do that if you're bringing in a quarterback who you think is on the same level as your rookie quarterback in Clayton Tune, and you think that they're interchangeable. And in my in my eyes, okay, you, so- you you made that decision knowing you were going to roll with Dobbs for at least a couple weeks unless things go completely sideways and you're still expecting Kyler Murray to miss time beyond the minimum four weeks of pop. So we all saw the Minnesota joint practices where you went against the Vikings' number one defense and they were using some regular season schemes as well. Couldn't I contend that Clayton Toon is a better quarterback when it comes to accuracy than what we saw from Josh Dobbs in the opener against Washington? Now, there's a lot of other factors that go into playing quarterback. I get it. The experience, the operation, knowing where to go with the football, right? You got to read and react. You got to diagnose and deliver. I get it. But but if you're going to run a quick passing game and the accuracy is not there, for example, I thought Josh Dobbs looked his best. Late second quarter, he made two straight completions to Trey McBride, and both were on the move. Yeah, He was on the move, a naked boot, a rollout, let's move the pocket, he's on the run. Remember, this is one of the all-time great dual-threat quarterbacks in SEC history, Josh Dobbs, just based on the production and his rushing stats. I think he's more comfortable on the move like that. It's when he was standing tall in the pocket, things got a little wonky. Well, and it's, I don't know, there's a little, I, I find that a little bit funny because the number of fans that were disappointed in Clayton Toon in the preseason because of his accuracy. <laughs> really? I, I mean, it was a little bit up and down. I, I didn't think. Here's the thing. Do overall, I, do I think what we saw overall was more, he was a bit more accurate than what we saw out of Clayton, uh, out of Josh Dobbs in that first game? Yes. Do I think that that's how Josh Dobbs plays all the time? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we're going to find out. I mean, there was there was definitely a couple times where he's throwing the ball, and, and Drew Petzing, who doesn't really want to say a whole lot, did kind of hint at like there were times when the defense was in a certain position, and you you, you know got you got to make sure the ball gets to where it's going. Um, but I, you know, look, I'm with you in terms of at some point I'm okay with Clayton Toon playing if it, if it doesn't come around. Um, but again, as we look down the road. You know, you bring him in in the second half. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm not starting Clayton Toon against the Cowboys. I'm not no. starting him against the 49ers. No. No. And those are your next two games after this one. Yeah. Then you get Cincinnati and the Rams. So you get Aaron Donald there. I mean, you might be looking at week seven against Seattle. Which at that point, how far off is Kyler Murray from returning? Right. Well, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. And then that could go either way. Let's say you do get to week six and they're expecting Kyler to not necessarily come off pup, but be ready to play week eight and you have one week is that a is that a good idea to see what you have in Clayton Toon if you know it's only one game before Kyler Murray I mean there's going to be a lot of question marks and decisions that can be made starting around your franchise quarterback's return look there were two problems in offense as far as I see it no downfield passing attack yes I think the only pass completed there was one beyond 15 air yards correct and then there was the negative plays. 14 of 58 plays went for negative yards. Did anyone ask Drew Petzing just sort of a basic, um, what do you attribute that to? How did you diagnose? Yes. Was there a common theme? Did he answer? No, he did not. <laughs> Didn't think so. Anybody care to answer that? In the absence of an answer from a coach, I mean, 
I, I again without knowing from the coach, I, I, I part of the problem was when you don't have a downfield situation when you're not throwing the ball downfield it's it's real easy to play up on the line i mean cliff kingsbury's yeah. team saw this you know if you look keontae ingram by himself keontae ingram had four rushing uh attempts two were as a regular running back twice he took the ball as a wildcat quarterback or quarterback and kept it every single one of those rushes was for negative yardage mm. so there's four of your negative plays right there with keontae ingram unfortunately <laughs> right um you know of the 14 plays, three were sacks. Um, again, was he holding the ball too long? I just feel like when you're not when you're not stretching the field, it's just too easy for teams to want to to be able to come up and press you. And if you throw a short screen, it's it always the 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 screen plays. And this was the same with with Cliff. If you don't get that first guy to miss, you're going to lose yards. And there are just too many times when there's not a first guy missing. Or if there is, the second guy's right there. I wonder, too, on not necessarily of negative yardage, but I think really thinking about the game that Zach Ertz had, who was a significant target for Josh Dobbs. That was seen early on. And I'm wondering, and this was a question that was asked and not really answered, which I guess I understand of not wanting to throw players on a bus, but I'm wondering if that lack of connection is from chemistry, is that from communication, is that part of the accuracy on Dobbs I mean there were a couple throws where they might not have been the most catchable but Ertz set himself after the game those are throws that I still hold the standard of myself being able to grab and bring in and make and I'm not sure yet of and we we might need to see another week or two to get a better feel um, but I'm not sure if that specific connection was communication or a chemistry issue for what it's worth worth uh, Zach Ertz told the media after the game quote we're learning together we've only been together for two weeks this should be the worst performance we have as an offense end quote Zach Ertz okay honestly Calvisa consulting the poly pigskin division here's what I would do I would make a point to reverse the targets between Marquise Hollywood Brown and Zach Ertz I would get Marquise Hollywood Brown 10 targets and get the tight end Zach Ertz five targets instead of the other way around was what it was on Sunday at Washington. I think you need to get Hollywood Brown into the game plan more. I know Jonathan Gannon, for a fact, has always been a big fan of Hollywood Brown. He said more than once that as a defensive coordinator, Hollywood Brown, just the pure speed and the route running and the big strike ability made him nervous as a defensive coordinator. Cardinals need to leverage that a little bit more. How? I don't know. We'll see how they, they draw it up. And as for Ertz, yeah, that first touchdown that should have been, that wasn't. I'd say it was 50-50. You know, should Ertz have come down with it? Yeah, that's a catch he's made 100 times in his career. Could it have been a better ball? Absolutely. You know, I, I just think if there's one thing with Dobbs, to me at least, is to throw a more catchable ball. You know, at, at times it seemed a little difficult. All I heard last week was that he threw a catchable ball. Yeah. So, yeah. See, you know, I, you know, again, that's uh, that's about as subjective as it gets. I remember in the preseason, different quarterbacks would come in for the opposing team and like veteran receivers would come to the white stripe in the preseason and they'd comment on how catchable that quarterback's ball was. And I'm like, okay, define that. Nobody can really define it. They just sort of, you know it when you see it. It either is or it isn't, whatever that means. I mean, for me, if you're a pro wide receiver or tight end, every guy's ball should be catchable. Right? Yeah. Didn't Garrett Wilson show that in, in the game yeah. that touchdown? <laughs> if it's in your hands, if you 
you know, how many coaches have defined it over the years? If you get two hands on it, it's catchable. If you get both hands on it, it should be deemed a catch. I was surprised Ertz didn't make the touchdown yeah. catch. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, I was too. He looked like a guy who hadn't had any preseason yes. reps. Then that's, that's just what, a when fraction the, That slow. play happened. Yeah. That's what I thought of. He hasn't had reps. Might yeah. not quite have the, yeah. the hops that he once did. But again, if you're going to get Josh Dobbs on the move, which I'm fully advocating over here as an armchair quarterback, this isn't a bad week to do it either when you get Dexter Lawrence in the A-gaps. Dexter Lawrence is a uh, big-time you know, Pro Bowl performer who was a wrecking ball in the playoffs. So we'll see what that Giants defensive front is all about. But here's the thing. You want to talk offensive line. As of this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, they're still trying to figure out if they have two of their top three offensive tackles because Andrew Thomas, the starting left tackle, got he pulled a hamstring early in that game on the block field goal. He's trying to run down whoever picked it up and went 58 yards for that touchdown for Dallas. Of course, he had no shot, and he pulled his hamstring in the process and eventually came out in the fourth quarter. They put in their next best tackle, and he ended up injuring an elbow. So both those guys are iffy for Sunday. So we'll see the Cardinals six sacks against Washington. Nobody's, you know, nobody's calling out Washington's O-line as one of the best in the league, but Giants are going to be undermanned and depleted. So we'll see. I mean, how much are we believing, Danny? Come on. How much are we believing in this uh, rotation of edge rushers and what we saw in week one? Because six sacks has them number two in the NFL behind Dallas with seven. I'm going to contradict myself and say I believe a lot more than I did seven days ago. And I'm also going to say... I need to see more than one week to give you a true answer. Just what you talked about on Washington's offensive line and and how their offense is set up. It's a great start. I was very surprised. There was pressure and disruption, not only with the sacks. um, I thought there was good coverage, some good PBUs. um, Keetra Clark and Marco Wilson as your cornerbacks did a nice job eliminating Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. It it seemed, with the exception of penalties, for the most part, it seemed clean and cohesive. Uh, there were guys flying around. I mean, Kaiser White, Kayvon Wallace, who just joined the team. It seemed like everybody was on the same page. Um, it didn't seem like tackling was an issue, which sometimes you see in the preseason and so sometimes you see at the beginning of the season of your starters not getting a lot of those reps. Just from a first game with all of your starters in this defense and having new pieces, it was a lot better than what I was what I was expecting. I, for me, especially with the outside linebackers, I think what really struck me is like, you know how they're always talking about how if somebody next man up and you can't have this drop off, like when they rotated somebody, I mean, it, it felt like everybody was producing something, mm-hmm. and you know they don't have. Uh, in his prime Chandler Jones necessarily on the, at that in that room. Um, but I thought Dennis Gardeck obviously played very well, but I thought Victor DiMacchese played very well. Like they were getting something no matter who they were putting out there, which is unique in a lot of ways. And there's always someone different coming off that edge when you're rotating guys. Dennis Gardeck is a vastly different body type and skill set than Zayvon Collins, yes. who's very different than B.J. Ojolari who's very different than a Victor Dimukeji, you know, just sort of a raging bull type of guy. And so if you're bringing different edge rushers with different skill sets in all the time, then the offensive linemen can't get a bead and they can't get locked in on one guy. And then you have the fresh legs factor. 
And they're like, man, I'm only going to get a couple dozen snaps in this game. I better make them count. They're not biding their time. They're not saying, okay, I'm going to set this guy up. I'll sort of brother-in-law it here on first and second down, but I'll bring it on third down. No, those guys were – because I think there's also the competition factor, not even against the offensive line, but within that same room, they realize there's so many guys in that room, and my Jay Sanders is coming back. What's the future? Could there be a musical chairs and one guy's left standing at some point this season? I better get out there and work. And the rookie B.J. Ojolari had, I believe, 18 snaps. You would expect that his workload will increase the healthier and more comfortable he gets because even if he's fully healthy, right, he didn't have an offseason out on the field, at least recovering from that knee injury. So you're right. There's still a lot of question marks of how is this defense, specifically the outside linebackers, how are they going to progress throughout the season and how are they going to continue to use this rotation? It is so interesting that we didn't, feel like there was a drop-off considering this was Zayvon Collins's first game full-time outside. Dennis Gardeck for the last year or two has not had this type of role because he's been playing behind a Chandler Jones and a Marcus Golden and he took advantage of that. We saw sparks of Cam Thomas last year and he had that scoop and score. Victor Dumacage, like every single guy made the most when they were out there. Lucky Fotu, Carlos Watkins, like that that's what you want to see. So, it, it, again, week one, it feels good to have this surprise by the defense as a whole. Give me a couple weeks before I give you my final answer, especially with the next few opponents, Paul. She wants her cough to go away, too. Yeah, that too, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's three to two right now. That actually, that, that was so big in my count twice. We'll Come see. On. We'll get a review on that one oh, and get I'm back trying. to you. I finished, my, I finished yeah, my cough drop. I forgot yeah. to bring down another. Speaking of using the bleep button, it was uh, LJ Collier on the Big Red Rage last week, and he said, when asked about the outside noise and the doubters and the naysayers, and uh, he said, quote, I feel like we're going to show the world we're more than what they say we are. And then he sort of had this edge to him. The whole interview. I mean, some of those guys are easily triggered by what's being said about the defense and how they were bidding to be the league worst, you know, entering week one. And a lot of disrespect out there for the defense. And so, you know, they had a lot to play for. And then don't ever discount the whole, the other team gets a lot of pub for a certain position room. And that counterpart on the Cardinals roster feels disrespected. And L.J. Collier acknowledges much. Yeah, we're well aware they got four first-round picks. And then he said, hey, Montez Sweat was taking two picks ahead of me. I'm a Mm. former first-round pick. Let that trail a little bit. And I'm like, okay. I mean, going in, we had no idea what was going to happen. But I'm like, the edge is going to be there. The energy is going to be there. And you know what? That's more than we can say at all times during the last four years. I mean, there were... There were some performances like that road trip to Detroit two years ago where they were DOA. They got off that team bus and had nothing. I don't know much, but I think I know this much. That's not going to happen this year. I think you will learn a lot about this team and how they respond this week. That was something we talked about almost every week the last year. Two, two seasons, actually, in this podcast studio was coming off a loss and talking about how you could. it felt like it was lingering. And not just the following week, but even during the game, it was easy to tell that the Cardinals in the past, when they were down and could be counted out, counted themselves out. 
it didn't feel that way. I know that, you know, Cardinals had the lead at one point in this game, so they weren't ever truly out of it. But it didn't feel like that throughout the game. And I think you're going to learn a lot about this team week two going up against a Giants team that is better than what their record says, not just their record, but getting shut out 40 nothing in your home opener to the Cowboys. I think you're going to learn a lot about the mentality and the culture that's been preached to us throughout the offseason with this team and how they respond after a loss. It, the, look, the Giants were a team last year that a lot of people were like, okay, are they one of those teams? Which there's always a couple of those teams, teams that make the playoffs and like, okay, they were never really that good. It's just yeah. they got some breaks. <laughs> Vikings, mm, excuse me, that's my some, own cough. That Sorry. doesn't count as my cough. Sorry. Breaks, and uh, and and they won some close games and all that stuff. That said, the Giants are not a forty to nothing type of loser. I mean, I I keep thinking back when I saw that score. I keep thinking back. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was a year the Patriots ended up winning the Super Bowl. They lost 38 nothing to the Buffalo Bills in Week One, and then they ended up beating the Buffalo Bills 38 nothing in Week 17. So wasn't that the on to Cincinnati game? No, wasn't that where after the game the famous we're on to Cincinnati? I think that actually was earlier than that okay. because it was also a game they they cut somebody because all the stories after the first game mm. was. Uh, like Tom Jackson went on ESPN and said Belichick had lost the locker room. And this was like early oh. on. This is the early, early aughts. So, and I think on to Cincinnati was more recent than that. So, I, again, where, where I'm going with this is, again, it goes back to what you said, Paul. Week one can be weird. Um, but I'm, I'm super curious about the Giants coming to town, the Cardinals getting their first home game. Uh, what this team looks like at home. This has not been a great home team. No. And and the and the schedule coming up is rough, so so the Giants are coming off their most lopsided opening loss in the history of the New York Giants, the worst regular season loss since 1973, against a team in Dallas. Uh, they've now lost 12 of the last 13 against the Cowboys, five in a row. In the last three meetings against Dallas, the Cowboys have had 15 sacks as a defense. Giants have had zero. The bagel. I mean. So, and every time over the years that the Giants have played Dallas in a season opener, uh, Dallas has won 10 out of 11 uh, over the years. So, it's uh, how are they going to respond? Was that telling of what the Giants are all about this year? There is speculation from those who cover the Giants on a regular basis that in that locker room, there might be some drama over the fact that Daniel Jones got four years, $160 million, $40 million per when he threw 15 touchdown passes last year, and Saquon Barkley, the heartbeat of that team and over 1,600 all-purpose yards, had to go to war just to get an extra couple of million on a one-year deal. Could not get the long-term deal he wanted. So is that, speaking of locker rooms, could that be an issue on this Giants team? There's been open speculation among a lot of... I'm impressed that you're already trying to stir the... Stuff. If I can't fan Paul the flames, knows that the Giants are listening to this podcast. He's trying to get in their head. It's all it's all a game. Well, now that Darren has extinguished all the fun I was having with a quarterback competition <laughs> slash controversy, you know he's not. You could you could have run with it. He's, you, he's you not were, entertaining my you reindeer gave me that games. Side eye on the plane when so, I said you know. Josh Dobbs should stay in the lineup, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you and Wolf. <laughs> I felt like it was being bullied by the Van Buren boys. We should have got a Pash into it because, uh, you know, Pash, I think uh, late in the game, Pash did wonder out loud on the air, okay, if there's more of this, meaning you're not getting into the end zone, then will there be a decision at quarterback? Will there be blood? We'll see. Uh, but well, no. Pash definitely stirs the You know, he's, 
Dave can be a little impatient. There's no doubt. That's, uh, you know. Um, by the way, role reversal is really disturbing on the team plane. Um, Ron Wolfley ordered the organic fruit plate with the yogurt side. Usually that's Dave fruit plate. Was that going in or territory. out? I was going in, and so I was uh, a little— why, why did you do that? I was jarring. I, I almost got a wellness check for Ron Wolfley after that order on the team plane, but uh, he ended up being okay, as it turns out. Okay. So we were monitoring him closely. Break a tooth or something. <laughs> that's right. You're right. Some soft fruit, some that's yogurt. Good. That's good, Danny. That's uh, for those listening. That's that's not a rude joke that I'm oh, calling no. it's him a, it's old. A rude it's joke. it's him having broken teeth. That's before. true. It's, so I want to be clear. I don't want people to think no. I'm taking a unnecessary shot at wolf. <laughs> no, you are. It's just just not because he's old. Just because yes. he's had dental issues. By the way, I have two theories. Which one do you want? Do you want do you want the Cowboys theory first? Um, come considering they just jack stomp the New York Giants forty to nothing, or or do you want the Cardinals theory as to what happened in the beginning of the game well, with those personal I love fouls? Conspiracy theory, to to be honest, Paul, I mean, in our podcast, I prefer all good content. So bring them both okay. on. All right, let's start with Dallas. Okay, okay since we were mentioning that Dallas defense that stymied New York. By the way, after the game, Micah Parsons said, "Quote." I think we made the statement, which I've been trying to make, quote, we're the best defense in the National Football League, end quote, Micah Parsons. So he's already stirring that pot big time. And you know what? He's flexing after a 40 to nothing win where they had seven sacks and they had Daniel Jones 12 times. And if they're missing two of their top three tackles, what does that mean for a Cardinals defense that just had six sacks themselves? Dot, dot, dot. That's fair. Okay, so there's the connection there. I'm thinking the other reason the Dallas Cowboys balled out, it wasn't just they got a pick six, and they got a blocked field goal return for a touchdown, then they could go hunting the rest of the game with a 14-0 lead. I'm thinking it's this whole Deion Sanders thing. The way Deion is tracking, and the way everyone knows Jerry Jones, if Dallas and Mike McCarthy don't perform, don't perform, do you not think that Jerry Jones does not have half an eye on Deion? I mean, for sure. If the Dallas Cowboys come out of the gate struggling this year and underwhelming everybody, Dion could be the head coach by th- the Thanksgiving game in prime time at this rate. So I think Mike McCarthy and his staff are coaching their tails off because they see Dion out there on the horizon. He's on Jerry Jones' radar. And the players are thinking, well, what does Dion do every time he has a coaching stop? Scorched earth. He gets rid of all the players. He changes out the entire locker room. So you know what? Let's go ahead and win some games to keep this coaching staff and keep Dion away. I mean, that's lovely theory, Paul. I mean, one, coaching the NFL and coaching colleges – totally different right cliff kingsbury and also you can't just go scorched earth with the earth with the roster you not you're not paying like, these guys now yeah and there's cap implications and all that stuff i mean I, there's not a transfer portal in, i don't in, in the nfl I, I i don't see that not soon okay so let me let me that's good i'll start with a more outlandish one now i'll give you the one that i think might actually get some real traction as to what we saw early in that game when you saw on the same opening drive a pair of personal fouls, lowering the helmet to initiate contact was that was that the foul? Yes, that's what they were. That, that's what they called. Okay. Yes. Look, the first one was real easy. Uh, Thou shalt not hit the quarterback too hard, or the officials will find a way to flag you. That's the way it is in the NFL. Especially that official was also hit. You see, he threw that flag. He was lying down. He sat up and just threw the flag. And then went back down on his backside. Uh, Yeah, I was was, was right near me. Cam Cox was in the middle of that shooting. I told Cam. With a camera. Yeah, yeah, and I, I told him. 
he was right in the fray there. I mean, he almost took a haymaker to the to the chin. And, uh, you know, I, I told him I would have had his back on the sideline. Of course, I was lying. There's no way I'm getting in there between 300-pounders. But, you know, anyway, do you think just by chance that maybe there was a point of emphasis from that crew to this coaching staff based on the fact how many times in the offseason Jonathan Gannon has been quoted as saying, we want a violent brand of football. Of course, he means it in a physical way. And then when the clip that went viral about I want killers yeah. on this roster, maybe just maybe that officiating crew had it in their mind, you know what, a la Cliff Kingsbury 2019 and his debut when he tried to introduce the clap cadence to the NFL clap from the, the clap snap from the college game and the officials cracked down on that, maybe just maybe the officials – we're intent on anything that's close to being too physical, to being, quote, <clears throat> emblematic of killers, uh, you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. Just saying. I mean, it's it's possible. I'm sure those officials have Twitter and saw that. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily what happened just with the penalties that were called of, you said it, that Kaiser White one was pretty clear. They also, um, they also have email with Park Avenue. Just wondering. I... I can't completely dismiss these considerations. Here's what I didn't understand with the with the Howell one. Like, did he lead? I I didn't. I never saw a clean replay. Did he lead with his helmet? Did, the replay I saw, <laughs> inconclusive at best. In fact, I thought both Jalen Thompson and Kaiser White led with the shoulder pad. You still can't hit the guy in the head. I get it, but it wasn't ruled helmet to helmet. No, it was ruled lowering the helmet. So, I mean, even if you lead with a shoulder, but you end up making helmet-to-helmet contact, you're going to get flagged. But that wasn't the call. On that drive, the three penalties, it was 67 yards and what was a 91-yard scoring drive for Washington. Because the game is happening so fast, yes, you have to be smart. Yes, these rules are in place for the safety of the players. Those are like those bang-bang plays where like it is a split-second decision, even if you aren't you know, you were lowering your head, but you're not trying to go helmet to helmet. It's not that I don't have a problem with those, but you can understand those. The problem is that you had nine penalties for 122 yards. So these were not standalone instances. This was constant throughout the game. And it wasn't just on defense. It was on offense as well. It was the team as the whole. And that's that's the problem is you want to play aggressive and you want to play violent, but you have to play within the lines and you have to be smart about that and even those non-violent penalties that that was something that we didn't see in the preseason so we didn't necessarily think it was going to be a problem maybe it's not a problem maybe this is a one-week thing locker room post games Avon Collins told me I'd rather have our team have to work on penalties than schematic errors because penalties are easier to fix so you need to see a significant change this week when it comes to penalties because that was just not good decision making. It's true. I mean, if we were hearing the words gap integrity and the Cardinals had just given up 200 yards rushing, that's much more of a problem than some penalty flags that are imminently correctable, right? I'm thinking like Bob the Builder. You know, I can fix that. I can fix that. Bob the Builder, that meme that's out there. Or yeah. For us old guys, you know, the whole Spicoli, you know, you know, my dad's a TV repairman. I can fix it. You know, I can fix He's got a killer set of tools or the ultimate set of tools or that's, whatever it is, you know. So that's, that's an old. You old can reference. fix it. You can, Not as old as Escape yeah. from New York, but 
But if I was smart, I would have cited, for example, when I said when I quoted Jonathan Gannon saying the ball needs to come out a little quicker, well, like, for example, Will Hernandez was caught downfield, right? Illegal man downfield, yeah. and that was a costly that penalty. Hurts. That wiped out a big game. That was a great play, too. Great play. But it, so, you know, it's stuff like that. And okay, all right. But once you get into the rhythm with the quarterback and you have an expectation as to how quickly that ball is or is not going to come out, then okay, then maybe, you know, that's imminently correctable. I, I don't know. But beyond that – um, you know, I started the TV show this week with the head coach saying, okay, um, Cardinals did not get the win, but did they get everyone's attention? And? M- meaning, you know, and, and he, he didn't really answer it. He didn't want to say anything, you know, go on a Bolton board. But, I mean, come on. He, did the Cardinals not get everyone's attention, at least with that defensive performance? I think they did. That exceeded everybody's expectations. Look, the players and the coaches aren't going to do the whole moral victory thing, but we can to a sure. certain extent. Right. And I understand – the disappointment, but we also understand on the outside here what the expectations were, what they are, kind of where this team is headed and what they're trying to do. And, you know, that was my thought going to the game. I'm like, I don't know if they're going to win or lose, but you want them to compete and that you want them to play hard. And they did those things. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get better on some of this stuff for sure. It's funny. They committed all those penalties and, We've talked about the pre-snap penalties in the Cliff Kingsbury era, but at least those are only five yards at a crack. That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, and, yeah. and I think they're going in a direction, at least what we saw, that you want them to go in. Now, we can go back to all the other stuff we talked about, the Josh Dobbs and getting the offense better and all that stuff. But And, they're, and they are going to play more difficult teams. They're playing more difficult teams over the next month than they did in the first yeah. week. If you go back to week 18, I shared this memory with Craig Grillo and Cards Cover 2. It was the Wednesday before the season finale last year at San Francisco, a lost season. And somebody, a media guy, said to James Conner, James, what are you playing for uh, in this last game? You know, and, and, and Connor looked at, stared down the reporter, I forget who it was, and said, some respect. If you can give me that attitude for 17 games this year, then okay. I, I don't know what's a realistic expectation in terms of win-loss, but if they're going to go out there and at least earn everyone's respect and the opponent's respect, and I do think we can say that, that the Cardinals went out there in week one and at least earned some respect for that defense, you, right? You play to win the game, right? I, I get it. I'm just saying. You know, if you're going to stay... but a play de- it just to play it. A defense like that keeps you in the game at least, so... While you're waiting for Kyler Murray to come back, while you're trying to figure out what the identity of this and what the you know, realistic expectation is for the skill set of the current quarterback crew, then okay. Um, beyond that, I don't, you know, I don't know. And maybe, you know, we'll see. We'll see how the Giants respond. We'll see how it goes against that Dallas defense. And then of course you get the 49ers who went in and schooled the Pittsburgh Steelers. You realize that was the worst home loss in the Mike Tomlin era by the Steelers, what the Niners went in and did to the Steelers I think and Kenny Pickett. I think it's pretty fair to say Brock Purdy's for real, huh? Do you I'm, see him flex the whole thing with Patrick Peterson yeah. after yeah. the game? <laughs> I'm surprised we've gone this long in the podcast without Paul's conspiracy theory that maybe Tom Brady would be heading to New York. Oh, that's true. Oh, no. Is that out there? That. Oh, yeah. That Do was you, out there as soon as he got hurt, Aaron Rodgers. You know the most embarrassing thing has happened uh, here so far in the football season is my buddy, who's a member of the media, texted me earlier today. I shouldn't even bring this up. Forget it. I'm not even going to bring it up. That's about the 
Cardinal. You gonna make us beg for it? Asking about the Cardinals maybe trading a quarterback to the Jets. Oh, Paul. Come on, man. Come that's on. not that's not what I got. I got Come a message on, from man. a friend who's a Jets fan. Now they feel like this is something I shouldn't be saying now. I'm listening. I just got it. Sorry, I got, Skip I got, Bayless gets away with this stuff all the time. That's true. I just I got a message that said, "It's a race for Caleb Williams," and that made me laugh. <laughs> oh, See, boy. I think the Jets. I mean, the the Jets are going to be. They're not going to be a bad team. They're going to be what they were last year, which was kind of middling. And and if they could really push it forward, they can. The problem is the AFC has got so many good teams. That's what your problem is right now. The Jets have more in common with the Cardinals right now than we ever thought they would, meaning that I heard Rex Ryan, meaning they're going to have to win with defense, at least oh, for now, until okay. they figure out the quarterback. I see what you're saying. I heard Rex Ryan was on with Dan Patrick last week, and he, he called this Jets defense way better than any defense he had when those two Jets teams went to the AFC Championship games in back-to-back years with Mark Sanchez as quarterback just because they were so dominant on defense. He said this Jets defense is way beyond what his defense was, which I found shocking. So, okay. Can you figure out a way to win games with that formula? Because I, I think that's what the Cardinals are doing right now. They're going to have to figure out a way to win with defense and figure out how limited the offense is at this point. But you have the pieces on offense to create success. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that not to just put all the blame on mm-hmm. one person, but you got to figure out, you got to get this quarterback comfortable and, and start getting that ball down the field. It's not to say you don't have the weapons who can make that happen. But again, the Jets have some weapons, right? That's what I mean. Sort of, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Folk Tales season three. Yes. Uh, this has to do with uniforms, which, by the way, was interesting because well, the, the first Card- episode has to do with uniforms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cardinals uh, were wearing the all red uniforms in Washington. Yeah. Because Washington said, okay, obviously the home team has a choice, right? And they said, all right. Earlier in that week, it had been almost 100 degrees. So they're like, you know what? We're not, you know, we're going to go with the white jerseys at home and all that. So, all right. What, uh, what, this first inaugural episode of season three, uh, what's the best way to describe it, Darren? Oh, I think it's just going to be a look back on, I mean, this team has been around for more than 100 years. So, uh, the, the uniforms have gone through a, a number of changes and a, a brief look at, you know, kind of, what they've gone through through the years, especially now that they've got yet another uh, incarnation uh, that they're wearing this season. So that, that'll be the first of, like I said, six episodes. The trailer is going to be uh, available uh, Tuesday evening on both social and azcardinals.com, and you can kind of check out all the, all the episodes that are to come this season. So are we going back to the days of the leather helmet? Like what, what's going on? No, I, I don't think it's going to be quite that. Uh, just kind of talking about the history about a little bit and maybe get a little bit of a look of of what's there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So that'll all be on display. Big red against the big blue. You know, that's the way they're going to – that's the way they used to build it back in the NFC East days. This is like an NFC East start back in the day when the Cardinals were in that division, right? Because then Although you get Dallas funny, next. Before the – this is the first time the Cardinals have played three straight NFC East opponents to start the, the year since 1993, and they were in the – they were in the NFC East almost another decade after that. So, Right. That's uh, all right. By the way, did you see the headline in the New York Post after the Giants got Jack stomped 40 I to nothing? That. Instead of Big Blue, it was a big screaming headline that said Big Boo, mm. B-O-O. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's clever. I, it was just the way you said that. Yeah. I'm looking at Paul, and yeah. you're just – it's very sarcastic, clever, <laughs> i got to say. 
How should I say it? Dan? Well, no, you can say it however you want. You just need to understand that some of the things you say, yeah. just your yeah. natural way, just comes off yeah. a little sarcastic. It, it, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> it's going to take Sorry, me. Paul. It's going to take me a week to recover. <laughs> you By didn't the way, come up with it. You're just repeating it. Oh, Danny's reaction hurt my feelings. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a worthwhile nugget. It was. It I was, was not being was deemed otherwise. And uh, it's cool. Oh, it's not it's not the note not the note I wanted to end the podcast on. To be honest with you, uh, check of the scoreboard. I think you guys ended up tied. Three costs to three bleeps. So that still continue into week three. Cody, oh. you need me to cuss? Hopefully, hopefully. You know what? Does it count if I cuss? Because I really am on the verge of doing exactly that. So I'll save myself and just end it here. Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.